You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. We are currently in a series called Covered in Dust, a journey through the book of Matthew, looking at the life, ministry, and relationship that Jesus had with his disciples that would later bring the kingdom of heaven through normal, everyday people. Thanks for joining us. thinking about Marsha Altmeyer this morning. Uh, I was born in a, in a hospital where um, they filmed the James Bond movie, which is my, my claim to fame. Uh, and my mom uh, is not Chinese. Uh, and it's always interesting to me um, whenever I meet people that meet my mom are always kind of a bit flabbergasted. She's not here with us this morning, but she has visited us in the past. Appreciate that, Timothy. Um, but she always calls me on my birthday every single January 4th. I remember at 4 p.m. my contractions were getting heavy, and I knew that I was going to have a baby boy. And every night she would read me, um, I Love You Forever. Remember that book? I Love You Forever, As Long As You're Living, My Baby Will Be. And I still have it. It says 1989 uh, to my son Oliver. So anyways, thinking about mom today. And, um, and we're going to continue in, in, our, in our series this morning uh, in the book of Matthew we started out back in January, and we'll be done by June. Uh, there'll be a, a kind of a, a values series that we'll be doing in July after that. Um, but currently in this second-to-last segment, we're looking at um, the call to the language that Jesus uses to come and die to his disciples. Um, right around uh, chapter 14, um, there's this turn in the page in the storyline of Jesus and his disciples uh, where Jesus... Um, because he's rejected, because uh, his time in Galilee, his ministry to, to heal the sick and preach the gospel and the good news has come to an end, according to the Father, not, not circumstance or timeline, because the, the Father had ordained it to be so. Jesus turns from a place called Caesarea Philippi, which is the northern extent of Israel, and begins to move southwards towards Jerusalem and begins that, this leg of ministry where the call to his disciples uh, changes from the call to come and see uh, to come and be, to come and do, some of the words that we've looked at all throughout this series into this, this common message, really, from 14 through 20, to come and die, to come and die, to come and serve, to come and be least, to come and be last, uh, is the common message and the pattern that you see Jesus speaking and showing uh, to his disciples that, that greatness in heaven does not look like greatness down here. It doesn't look like the Romans, he says. He says that leadership, for example, is not, is not using force and coercion and fear to impress yourself on others. Rather, leadership, for example, would look like serving. It would be getting a towel and washing somebody's feet. It would be being the least. It would be uh, being the quietest. It would be being, being meek or, or being uh, 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 empowering rather than disempowering. He, he begins to redefine what it looks like to be a disciple. And, and the last message that he, he shares with disciples is this message of come and die. But what we've seen in the last couple of weeks is that the invitation to come and die isn't a taking, but it's a giving. The invitation to come and, come and die is about restoring something to people that they lost rather than taking it away from them. This is the journal question, the process question that we've been looking at, and, and we'll continue it this week and next week and then the final week when Timothy comes to share. Matthew 14 through 20, my question is, Jesus, where am I learning as a disciple? Disciple means learner, mathetes. It means to, to change the way that you're thinking. How am I learning to lose my life? Um, and how am I... How am I how am I currently actually losing it by trying to save it? Where am I finding my life instead by losing it? Where am I losing my life by trying to save it currently? And God, where are you trying to break in and break through and give back to me and, and save me and restore me and heal me 
by allowing me to lose my life that I might actually find it, actually find peace, love, and joy that can only come from him. It's been lost, it's been, it's been uh, squandered in places, but, but Jesus has come uh, to, to give it back, to restore our lives to, to us. And the invitation looks like coming and dying. So let's pray once more. Jesus, as we come to your scriptures, ask that you would change us, that we wouldn't change the words that we read to fit our lives. Rather, we would transform our minds according to what your scriptures say, that we might be conformed to the image of your son in our heart, in our mind, in our strength, in our hands. And we love you and trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've been through many phases since the I love you forever phase with Marsha Wong. Uh, I, I, I've been through many phases as, as a young man, as an adolescent, as an adult, and, and especially boys, I think, go through phases. Like my boys are in a PJ mask phase, at least my two-year-old is, and uh, they go through Diego phases. They go through Batman and Superman and Avenger phases. They go through Spider-Man. It seems like as soon as you really buy the entire collection of toys for $1,000, that they go on and move and they want some other kind of toy or other kind of brand. It's just part of the marketing scheme, I guess, and they have nailed the fact that phases don't last forever. They're here for a phase and they're gone in the next. My first phase was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles phase, craze I would call it, from 1989. And my mom would not allow me to play Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because they were too violent and they were too insulting of each other and they'd beat each other up. But it didn't stop your boy. I would uh, go and sneak the turtles and buy the turtles and bought the movies and watch the videos. And my dad, I remember, made me a, a, a costume out of his black belt that he had back in Hong Kong in this big uh, saucer sled that he painted brown and then a dinner plate thing that he painted with like circles that look like fake Ninja Turtle abs. And I danced to a rap song on my first grade uh, Ninja Turtle uh, talent show because I loved Ninja Turtles. That was my phase. I was just in it to win and I was in the Ninja Turtle phase. And I grew up a little bit um, older and my mom was, was, was real frugal, let's say. Uh, and she made sure that I took responsibility for my money so I would save a dollar every single week to save up for my Home Alone phase. Home Alone 1 with Kevin McAllister. You may have seen this movie, but I spent $21 in 1990 on a week's worth of allowance. So 21 weeks. I didn't buy it until June and it came out in the Christmas time. And I bought it. Remember the poster that it came in? I spent the $21, all cash, sweaty cash that I had stored underneath my pillow to buy the Kevin McAllister Home Alone poster. And I drew my own poster for my whole house. There was all these booby traps that I could draw for my house in case burglars would ever came in because I was in the Home Alone phase. One of them, I, I remember I got my mom pretty good, is like, remember when he has the, the pencil and the fan and then the, and then the string pulls the pencil out and just blows. I didn't have any feathers, so I just blew the uh, 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 pencil shavings out of my electric pencil sharpener all over my mom. And she's like, oh yeah, that's real cute. You're gonna have to clean all that up. And I was like, bah! It didn't go like that in the movie. That was my Home Alone phase. I had a Dave Matthews Band phase, which I've shared before, and I bought a Dave Matthews guitar, a Taylor 710 series, and, and wanted to play like Dave and buy all the albums and go to all the concerts and so forth. I was eat, sleep, drink Dave Matthews Band uh, on my Napster. Y'all know about Napster. It's early 2000s. Uh, that was my Ninja Turtle phase. And then, of course, there was my Kyra phase, and I'm still in my Kyra phase. And Kyra was the phase that got me out of the loose athletic wear, got me a job. It was a good phase. It was a good phase. I followed her to church and, and learned to follow Jesus, partly because of her influence in my life. Uh, that was an important phase, an important chapter um, in my life. But we, we, we go through um, these, these different phases, and what these phases are, are teaching us, really, what these phases teach us about the transformation of identity, the, the change, the becoming who we are, the formative years of our life, it'll be on the screen, is that although we're informed by truth and information outside of our, our decision-making, although we're informed by data that we collect on the outside, that we're only really formed and transformed through the practice of worship. We're only formed and transformed by our desires. 
How many know that the information that my mom gave me that I'd be grounded to uh, go and buy a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle doll wasn't enough to form my desire not to buy one? I bought it anyways. How many know that um, my, my bank account and its inability to purchase one more Dave Matthews Band concert wasn't enough to stop my desire to go and get what I, I ultimately wanted? What do we see from the story of phases in our life is that no matter what the new information or obstacles come, we ultimately aren't doing what we think we ought to do. We're ultimately doing what we want to do. And so our identity is actually less shaped by the surroundings and circumstances and information that we're interpreting from the outside in. Actually, our identity is continually being changed, whether we know it or not, based on what it is we want and what it is that we desire. And so I am round two for my uh, notes being um, dying out on my iPad because my kids will definitely swipe it in the middle of the night. So as I gather myself, um, we are shaped by our desires. We are formed by our worship. And, um, and so the story that we're going to look at this morning, um, last week we talked about dying to self and gaining our life back through relationships and the kingdom coming through dying to self in relationships. Today we'll look at a story uh, that has to do with possessions, that has to do with riches. Uh, the story of the rich young ruler um, almost comes off like an Aesop's fable. Uh, it's, it's a parable of extremes. It's a rich guy that's a humble guy, that's a great guy that comes to Jesus, and Jesus sends him packing. This is what we're going to find in Matthew chapter 19, if you want to open it up with us this morning. But, but, the, but the rich man comes to Jesus and wants to have a conversation about change with him, wants to have a conversation about what it means to follow him, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus goes straight from the head right to the heart. He uh, refuses to have conversations about uh, what the man would need to know or what the man would need to do about theology or intellect or academia. He wants to have a conversation about the man's desire, about his heart, about his worship. And so this passage, I think, teaches us a lot about what it actually means to be covered in the dust of the rabbi, to follow Jesus with all of our heart and realize really that uh, the discipleship process takes place in way deeper parts of our heart and our soul before it ever takes place in our mind and in our hands. So this is what the passage op opens up. Just then a man comes up to Jesus and asks Jesus, teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit the good life? What good thing do I need to add to my repertoire, to my resume, to have what it is that I'm searching for, that I'm missing, that I don't have today? I have so much, but I still feel like there's more that I don't have. And, and Jesus, I'm coming to you as a humble person. You're a, you're a, you're a poor teacher. You're a fisherman or you're a, you're a carpenter. And I'm coming to you for answers. Um, I want to know, what am I missing? What's the good thing that I'm missing? And we see in the guy's question that um, he thinks so long ago a lot like we think, and that is that we believe and think that, that, that good things happen from doing good things. We believe that doing well comes from being good. Doing good, excuse me, uh, having, having good things, uh, doing well comes from doing good things, being good. And so he asks Jesus this question, what is it that I need to do next to have the next good thing? If you guys have ever seen um, The Sound of Music, where Maria, uh, at the very end, it, it's a spoiler, but if you haven't seen it, that's your fault. So by now, I'll just uh, spoil it for you if you haven't seen it. It's on you, not on me. But uh, she falls in love um, with the captain, right? They're two opposite, polar opposite characters. She's kind of this whimsical, soft-hearted 
you know, flowery, no shoes, run through the grass type of person, and, and the captain's like the real staunch, austere German dude. And, and, uh, and so they fall in love at the end. And she sings this song uh, to him as she gazes gaze in, in, into his eyes in the only Roger and Hammerstein kind of way that you can do. And she says to him, for here you are standing there loving me, whether or not you should. So somewhere in my youth or in my childhood, I must have done something good. That there must have been something good that I've done to experience something this great in my life. That doing well comes from being good. And, and somehow, I don't know how, but I know that somehow this is so good. This, this romance that I experienced with you is so good that it must have come from me doing something good. And then she says, nothing comes from nothing. Nothing ever could. So somewhere in my youth or in my childhood, I must have done something good. We have um, some friends that have visited. I don't, I don't know if they're here today, but they visited a few times last week. Um, uh, Liz Stewart um, worked for kind of this uh, uh, underprivileged um, after-school program where she would pick up kids um, from their school and drive them to after-school so their parents could come and, come and get them. And so there's this bus ride through town, and the kids would kind of be like bumping around back there and playing and stuff uh, on the way to school. They're elementary or on the way home from school. And it was a funny moment that I bring up a lot. It's just one of those things that me and Kyra for the last, you know, well, at least seven years now have a joke about as an inside joke kind of thing. But there was one of those people that are like really good at throwing those signs around. You know what I'm talking about? Like they got the like big like wholesale mattress thing and they're spinning it and throwing it up like a pizza and catching it. And the kids are like, whoa, look at that. And one of the little girls is like staring out the window, just like right off of her heart, just like no filter, just like that's what happens when you don't go to college. And the whole bus was cracking up, you know, it's like, and, and that's so silly, right? We know plenty of people that are, have a terrible time of going to college. We know plenty of great people that haven't gone to college. But without saying it, many of us think that way. We think that doing well comes from being good. And we see people in our life and we're like, that dude has kept a job for a long time. That person looks popular. This person seems friendly. They're emotionally you know, stable for the most part. They must have done something good. They must be somebody to follow. They must be somebody that I want to emulate. They must be somebody that I can trust because doing well comes from being good and being good always results in doing well. And so, so the guy's asking him what we would ask Jesus. How can I do better, Jesus? How can I make my life less of a mess? How can I get my kids to obey me? How can I have the house that looks like Chip and Joanna Gaines? How can I have respect at work? How can I be in control of my life and my destiny. You must have the answer to this. I want to do well. So what is it that I can be good at, Jesus, that I might do well with? And Jesus says to him, answers really for our sermon in the very next verse. Why do you ask me about this good? Jesus replies. There is only capital O, one good. There is only one who is good. And if you want to enter this life, then obey the commandments. Jesus listens, if, the, if Jesus speaks, if they have ears to listen, or if we have ears to listen or not, and reminds us that, that good is, isn't existent unless there's God. And it's easy to forget that. But if, if the sun were to, were to uh, neglect the earth, it would lose its goodness because the sun would be, would be distant. Me and Mark Dotson brag about our vacuum cleaner affinities, and Mark's a Dotson, Mark's a, Mark's a um, what's the name of your favorite vacuum, Mark? A Dyson man. Uh, actually had somebody in the church, Derek Benito, used to work for, for James Dyson. There's 200 people on, on, that, on that group making those awesome vacuums. But, but if you unplug an amazing vacuum, even a Dyson, from the wall, it's a worthless piece of junk. 
because, because the vacuum apart from power can't serve its function, much less anything. Colossians says that everything is held together by God, and he's at the center of all things. And if God were to even leave our stratosphere for a moment, all goodness would vacuum out of it as well. If I have an iPhone, the greatest technology you know, in the world, or my stinking iPad, which my kids kill every single night uh, through, through battery, playing it all night long, it's a paperweight. I've got no sermon notes up there now. Because it's not connected to the source. You see, goodness has no goodness in it. It, is mer- it's, it lacks its merit of goodness if there is no God in it. God is the only root of any goodness in our life. I was um, in Hong Kong, what, four or five years ago with my daughter Rose, and it was a dream trip. It was like a dream come true. Um, because I wanted a vacation and because... It was a time to go back to my roots, and it was a time to go to a wedding together. It was a time to go on the best daddy-daughter date ever to Hong Kong, go to Disney World and eat dumplings off the street and all this stuff. And it's like, it was an amazing time. We went to like the Bruce Lee statue right there on the river, on the river, on the ocean, and, and just had a fantastic time for a week. But there was a moment on the MTR the MTR is like their subway system, which since they had SARS back in 2004, it's like one of the most awesome modes of transportation you'd ever find. It's clean, it's effective, it's fast, it's cheap, and, and it's crowded. And you're down there, and for a moment, my little blonde daughter, Rose, disappeared from my view for about 45 seconds. And all I saw was black-headed Asians. And I'm like, I don't want any of the black hair. I'm looking for the blonde one. Where is she? And without Rose, pretty quickly, my dream became a nightmare. And this is what he's saying. He's going, remember that goodness isn't unto itself. Remember that goodness comes from somewhere. Remember that goodness has to be connected to something else. And goodness can't come to your life unless it's connected to God. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And if you don't understand the theology of goodness as it's exclusively tied and tethered to Jesus Christ, then you will lose your vision for goodness and your vision to God. And so this is the, really the sermon in a sentence that I think we can carry through the rest of the text. But this is, this is the point I think that Jesus is making to this man. And we'll apply it in a moment. But it's that doing well doesn't come from doing good. Doing well comes from knowing God. Doing well, peace and love and joy, the things that our heart really desires and longs for, the things that our, our soul can only find rest in, can't find them in things that are not connected to God, although we try pretty hard to do it. Our dreams without God become nightmares instantly insofar as they're not connected to God. And he's speaking to this rich young ruler in light of the conversation to discipleship and dying to self. Doing well cannot happen. Like when somebody asks you on Monday morning, how are you? If you're really saying the answer, I'm doing well, It can only happen because you have been with Jesus Christ. Because a dream is only a nightmare without Jesus. A life can only be good for a moment until it is plugged into the source, until it is abided in the vine. There is no good thing and there is no good fruit unless it is somewhere connected to Jesus Christ. Doing well does not come from doing good. Rather, doing well comes from knowing God. And Jesus replies to him, These are the commands that you should follow if you want to be connected to God. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
Jesus gives the guy a really great opportunity to show off. I mean, gives him the whole list because he knows that the guy has been a really good little boy, a good, rich, young ruler. And he knows the response is going to be verse 20. All these I have kept, the young men said, and who and what do I still lack? Jesus knows that a humble person won't brag until you ask them, until they're, you know, the two desires and the two virtues of honesty and humility come into contact. And, and he gives the guy permission to show the entire audience just how good this guy is. I mean, I mean this is like, like, like the thing about, about wealth is that it's really hard sometimes to like really wealthy people, right? But then it's really hard not to like really wealthy people that are humble too. You know what I'm talking about? That's that like Disney knows this when they make princesses and princesses like Jasmine, princes and princesses like Jasmine, like goes down to the to the to the market to go and buy stuff because she's a princess and she's rich. But she's just like, I just want to be one of the common everyday people. And then you've got Eric, you know, the the strapping prince, the guy who like goes and rescues the like beach homeless person that just kind of washes up on the shore that doesn't have a voice like like there's a virtue in that there's something in princess diana right that the whole world loved because she didn't keep up with the pomp and the circumstance of wealth and and so it's like it's not that we dislike wealth or rich young rulers it's like we don't like arrogant and proud rich young rulers but this guy's not even proud i mean this guy has got it all he's rich Beyond our, our imagination he is a, he is a ruler he has power and authority people will turn their head when he walks down the street and he's got his whole life in front of him. He's young. He has moxie. He has something to him that's going to turn your eye to him. Right? But he's humble. And he's followed all the commandments. And when Jesus sends him packing in a minute, it really makes all the disciples do what we would all do. Is like, if that guy can't make it in, I don't know how any of us can make it in. And so this is, this is the thing. He allows everybody to see just how good this guy is and how well he should be doing. But we see the question is still lurking for the man in his soul, in the heart of this rich young ruler who comes to Jesus. And because he still knows that he's lacking something, what is it that I still lack? I can't help but think about the U2 song when I read this verse, and I'm sorry if you don't care about U2, but we're going to read the lyrics together. There's a song that U2 wrote called, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. And, um, and there's a joke, I, I read it, it's a silly joke, but, uh, but Bono and the Edge walked into a bar one time, and the bartender said, oh, U2? Um, a lot of these guys in the band are believers. And if, you know, if, if they aren't, some of these songs, they have to be inspired by the kingdom of God. This song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I have climbed the highest mountains and have run through the fields only to be with you, only to be with you. Do you guys know the melody of the song? Are you guys hearing this as it goes? It's hard to say it and not sing it. I don't want to kill you guys. I have run, I have crawled. I have scaled these city walls. It's like that, that like yearning, you know what I mean? These city walls, only to be with you, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Next slide. I have kissed Kyra's lips, felt the healing fingertips. It's burning like fire, it's burning desire. Oh, and then it goes to church. Hang on. <laughs> I have spoke with the tongues of angels, 1 Corinthians 13. I have held the hand of the devil who's warm in the night, who's cold as a stone, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. 
I can preach, right? <laughs> I can preach. It's the song of just having it all but having nothing. And even in church, not being with God, longing for him, realizing that goodness isn't goodness without God. And this is why, this is why Jesus says what he says to the man. He says, all these I have kept and I'm still missing something. He goes, you know why you're missing something? He says, I want you to sell your possessions and give to the poor. And then you'll have treasures in heaven. This isn't a sermon about being a Democrat or Republican, wealth or non-wealth. He's not speaking to the man's money. He's speaking to the man's dreams. He's speaking to the places that we all dream of joy and power without God. He didn't speak to Abraham about his money. He spoke to Abraham about his son. He says, I want you to take your son and take him up the hill. And I want you to sacrifice him because you trust me. Do you trust me, Abraham, in your heart? He doesn't speak to Paul about his money. He doesn't ask him for his money because it's not about the poor and it's not about the money. It's about his heart and it's about his desire. And he knows that men and women are not shaped by information or truth. They're shaped by their desire, by the places and spaces they still long and dream for joy and power without God. And he says, the one thing you lack is the desire for me. I want you to sell all of your possessions and then you can come and follow me. Our intentional question this morning is where are you dreaming of joy and power without God? And I've asked you to think as we talk about the word come and die, it can only be an intimate thing. And I heard a Francis Chan sermon. He's like, the most intimate place you'll ever have is the prayer closet. And he's right. Because that's where our desires are shaped and that's where our identity is formed. It's not through discipline, but through desire that we follow Jesus. Before we ever have discipline problems or duty problems or even devotion problems, we first have desire problems. We just don't want him. We want something else. We still believe in a dream of joy and power without him. And so we don't follow him, not because we don't know the rules or we don't know how or we don't have the means or we missed the memo. No, we don't follow him because we don't desire him. And we allowed other things to come in the way of our place with him. And so what Jesus is doing to him is not asking him to disqual it's not disqualifying him by saying you're too rich. What he's, what, he's, what he's asking the rich young man ruler is, will you let me save you? Will you let me save you from yourself? These dreams are nightmares without me. There's no good apart from God. Hong Kong is a nightmare if you lose your daughter. And your life is and will be a nightmare if you trust in these things to give you and fulfill you joy and power without me. There is no goodness without God. And doing well happens cannot happen without being with God. And so he asks, have you found what you're looking for yet? Do you know what it is that you desire yet? Where are you dreaming? I've been challenging us to, to look at our phones is really where our doxology happens before it ever happens in our worship times. If you were to, to look on your Discover page, maybe, maybe there's, there's something there, I wonder. If you were to look on the Discover page, you know they have an algorithm for you. They have your number. You know that. They're watching what you're shopping for. And they will put things, they will, they will put a mirror in front of you pretty quickly if you go to the Discover page on your Facebook or on your Instagram on your profile, on your friends page, you will scroll through and what you will see is little dreams. Little dreams, little places that we hide away, little food things. 
little celebrities, little culture things, little fashion things. And our heart and our soul is continually saying, maybe I can find some joy and a little, a little power apart from God in that thing. In your viewing history on YouTube, in your Netflix history, I wonder if there's a mirror there for your soul. You might look at it and see something, not that Jesus wants to rob from you, but a place in your heart he wants to restore from you. He's going, this thing is making it not only so that you're not right with me, but it is killing you. It's not cute. It looks cute. It looks conventional. It looks fine to, to have whatever, I don't know, vegan diet or to have this kind of new car or to have this. I mean, it looks like the normal dream, the American dream, right? You're entitled to that. It's killing you. It's the reason you have problems. The reason we think it's like, well, I got to go read a book and go figure out how to. And those are wonderful, practical, equipping things. But, but duty and discipline are never the solution before desire. And we have to ask ourselves, if we don't wake up in prayer and go to sleep in prayer, reaching for him when we wake up and in the morning and we go to sleep at night, then what is it that we're reaching for instead of him? That is the thing that keeps us from following him. Because make no mistake, everyone in the scriptures and everyone in this room can come to Jesus just as they are, but to follow him will require our entire life. Our first and our best come to the altar of Jesus. And, and we, are, we do not struggle with discipline problems. I'm convinced as much as we, we struggle with devotion problems and desire problems, have we lost our desire to follow him? Where, where do you have dreams? It was the carousel. I'm in a Rodgers and Hammerstein play thing. But the, the woman says, you know, when the children sleep, when the children sleep, we'll sit and we'll dream, is what the, the woman on the carousel song says in that play. It's, it's a dream of, of being married. And what if Jesus says, do you trust that my plan for your singleness is better than your story of marriage? Do you trust that? Because if not, then that marriage and that child will kill you. It's not cute. It's not just conventional wisdom. It, is, it will kill you if it's in your heart before me. It could be a dream of a, of a promotion. It could be a dream of a ministry. It could be for us the dream of the Swamp Rabbit Trail. Do you dream of, of, of significance and prominence, stability? Apart from me, if so, that dream will kill you. That dream will become a nightmare without me. There's no goodness without God. Where are you dreaming of power? He says, give it to me. I'm not here to take from you. I'm here to restore you. The only place you can find peace, love, and joy is in me. The only thing that your desire is. It says in the book of Mark, you know, he turns away. He turns away. The rich young ruler leaves. At this, at this cost, the cost is too high for the guy, and he leaves. And Mark says he looked at him with compassion and loved him, is what the, what the Scripture says. He's not taking, he's giving. He's restoring, he's saving. He's trying to protect your marriage. He's trying to protect your heart. He's trying to protect your profession. Why? Because these things that are good apart from God will kill us. They've come to kill us. The statistic is that we always want the capital M more, that 25% is always the number that we want for our, for our paycheck. If we had a little bit more and he's saying the more would kill you, I'm saving you from the more. Where are we dreaming of power and joy without God? I'm going to invite us to stand and we'll uh, read, read our gospel proclamation and uh, close in some worship this morning as the band comes forward. But as we continue on in, in this series, um, I think it's just an, a significant spiritual invitation to come and die. This is where every road and every journey of discipleship leads us is towards the cross. And the cross is not 
a gateway really into death. It's a gateway into life. It's a doorway into his strength in the midst of our weakness. And every morning we come, a Sunday morning, we come to at least one opportunity to lay, it down, lay things down before him to know that things are safer in his hands. Parts of our life are safer in his hands. And, and all of that comes to foundation and stability because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because the cross actually means something in all of our lives. Let me read it for us and I'll close us uh, in prayer as we respond in worship this morning. What is he asking you to lay down? Where is he asking to visit your dream and, and to speak into it? Maybe his plans look different from your dream, but his plans are always better than our dreams. The gospel is the good news that Jesus came to bring us from spiritual death into spiritual life. Life and vitality happen in his presence and only death can happen in his absence. Jesus loves us and he died for our sins so that we can have close relationship with God for eternity. When Jesus died 2,000 odd some years ago, what he was doing on that cross was he was, he was canceling our sin, all the ways and, and, and reasons that we run from him. Even when he tries to bless us, he, he died for that. And so then we find in a come and be invitation that actually in trying to follow him and chase him, He's the one that's been pursuing and chasing us the entire time. And if we would just be, if we would just receive and stop running, stop hiding and stop trying to do what he's already done for us, we just receive his payment. We could have close relationship with God for eternity. We could have abundant life and eternal life through prayer. And I want to invite you, if you've never prayed this prayer before, you can receive his invitation. You can invite his life into your dream. You can invite his words and his his faithfulness and his hand and his heart into your dream. It's dying on the vine without him. Our lives are dying on the vine. They're in spiritual death and decay. If Jesus' present is here, and we can invite him just through faith. And it's just through faith. It's just that, that doorway of opening up to say, I want you a part of my life. And so would you pray that with me, even if it's your first time or millionth time, Jesus, we, we ask you into our life and we ask you to become part of our dream, God. We ask you to speak life into these places because all of it's vanity except for your voice. And so we trust you with our lives, our children, our children's lives, with our city, with our neighbors. God, we trust you with our church and we seek you knowing that you're our greatest good and the greatest good we'll ever have. We love you and trust you in Jesus' name. We at City Lights are so grateful to have worshiped with you today. We are a church that exists to be followers of Jesus who are devoted to building family, blessing neighborhoods, and bringing good news to the nations. For more information on our church, visit our website at www.citylights.cc and give us a follow on Instagram or Facebook. We hope you can join us again soon.